Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got some outstanding matchups to talk through this weekend in college football. It was a fun weekend, some great games to break down. We're going to do all of that here on today's show. At the very top, though, we're going to start off with our segment that we have dubbed Scout Stories, where this week I'm going to be joined by Eagles Southwest Area Scout Sean Heinland to talk about his time evaluating Carson Wentz. Now, he was not here in Philadelphia when Carson Wentz was coming out of North Dakota State, but I thought he brought some really fun stories, some really good anecdotes uh, Uh, to the evaluation of Carson Wentz. So we're going to talk all about that at the top and some really good takeaways um, for you guys at home in terms of evaluating players and trying to project them to the NFL. That is our goal every week on Scout Stories. It's, you know, making sure that we see the evaluation on the individual player, but also some takeaways for things that we can learn and kind of push forward to our future evaluation. So we're going to do that at the very top. After that, we're going to go to Saturday Scouting. We're going to welcome in uh, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, the three of us. We're going to get our reactions from the overall weekend in college football. We're going to talk through some of the high moments, uh, how it will impact the future here when it comes to the 2021 NFL Draft. After that, we've got our On the Clock segment. Chris McPherson is going to join the show. This week, the debate is going to be the biggest sleeper for the first round of the draft. Obviously, we're months away, right? We're half a year away from the 2021 NFL Draft. But at this point, who's the biggest sleeper for the first round? Dane, Ben, and I are going to debate. Chris McPherson will be the judge, and he will let us know who wins that debate. After that, we're going to wrap it up with a question from you guys at home in our draft mailbag. The best way to throw us your support, if you're enjoying what you're listening to here on the show every single week, twice a week, just go on Apple Podcasts, go on to Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. You guys have done a great job of leaving us those questions, leaving us your mock drafts, players that you want to hear evaluations on. If you go and do that, that's a guarantee you're going to make it into the show. Really appreciate everybody that has done that. And again, it's the best way to throw us your support. It helps make the podcast more visible to everybody else that's looking for NFL Draft podcasts. So really appreciate everybody that has done that. All right, let's get into the top of the show. It's time now for our Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us here this week, once again, on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, Eagles Southwest Area Scout, Sean Heinland, to talk about Eagles quarterback, Carson Wentz. So, uh, Sean, take us through the eval, man. What were your exposures to Carson during that pre-draft process in 2016 and your big takeaways uh, as you kind of projected him to the NFL? Yeah, man, how are you? I was uh, pretty fortunate to be around Carson. I live in the Frisco, Texas area, so the uh, FCS championship game is here. And I happen to take my boys, my two sons, to that game every year. It's kind of like our chance to go as a family to a football game. That's awesome. And so Carson was playing Illinois State his junior year in the championship game. And, uh, you know, it happened to be a cold day here in Texas, which is not normal for winter, but it fits for those North Dakota people to come on down. And uh, he led them to a game-winning drive with a minute left and, and won the national championship. And I was just thinking to myself, like, who is this big joker running around out here just slinging balls at this, you know, weather being cold and windy? And I'm like, this guy's pretty talented. And I happened to have North Dakota the following fall. And um, so I said, I'm going to make sure I do all my research. And I spent a lot of time in in Fargo that year checking out the sites and scenery, Um, (laughs) spent as much time around the facility as I could. So it was, um, you know, I was there in August at training camp and I uh, just watched him at practice. And I'm like, this guy has unbelievable tools to work with. Um, I was really excited to see how he put together a senior year and went back to watch him play the Northern Iowa game at home. And he did the same thing there. Let him minute, two minutes left in the game. I think they're down a couple to Northern Iowa and 50 seconds later, he throws a 30 yard touchdown pass to win the game with like 20 seconds left. And Northern Iowa had two NFL caliber corners on the team and they were a top ranked team. And I was just like, man, this guy continues to put it together whenever you know, times were tough. He would find a way to figure it out. And then again, the championship game, he came out off off the injury and was lights out right from the beginning. I mean, you just saw this guy was just a different type of athlete and competitor on the field. So you brought up a game that I remember very vividly. DeAndre Hall was one of those corners and he was a former Eagle uh, on that Northern Iowa team. He didn't like play particularly well in that game early on. Probably his worst game of the year. Yeah. And the way that he was able to bounce back and what he did on that two minute drive at the end, 
to me, like that, like kind of stood out to me. Do you do you have those kind of moments with guys yeah, where it's like absolutely. that game stand, it will stick with you? Absolutely. He was trying to drive. They were down four. They're driving. Um, There's like five minutes left, and he fumbled on like a ten. It was like a ten yard carry. He had moved the sticks, got hit, coughed it up. Northern Iowa missed the field goal to put him up a touchdown. So they had the ball backed up, I think, on their own twenty yard line with a minute and change left, and he was able to put that turnover behind him and march right down the field through a beautiful ball um, to Shepard, I believe it was, in the corner, left corner of the end zone where I was sitting, over the shoulder, dropped it in two defenders, touchdown, ball game. I mean, that's, if I remember right, too, he, like, audible at the line on that one, too. He, like, he like changed the play up at the line of scrimmage. Before the and that's the thing is, you you know, going in there talking to coaches, they said they'd give him the first two plays of the two-minute drill, and then the rest was on him. So he had the first two plays off the sideline, and then it was up to him to just call it as he went down the field. And then, like I said, he he did it time and time again there. So you talk about going into onto uh, campus there back in like the summer and early fall. I remember right. talking with people around the league um, that year, and it was like I started to hear the buzz about it in like October. And, you know, and right. at, at what point did you realize like? Man, this guy, not just like first round pick, but it was like top half. I remember going to the senior bowl and thinking like, all right, like he's pro- he's probably going top half round one. And then by the end of that yeah. week, it was he's definitely locked top 10, top five. And then obviously he ended yeah. up going number two. Uh, he was my my crush of the fall before I even went in because I had watched tape after watching that championship game, being here in Frisco live, um, doing the summer tape on him. I was talking to our guys like and telling Doug Willie, our GM in Buffalo at the time, like, you're going to have to make a trip to Fargo this year, I promise you. <laughs> and, and going in there early, I just reiterated to him and, and Jim Monos, like, hey, you guys are going to have to come to Fargo to come check this guy out. And um, they actually made it to the championship game here in Frisco to watch him that year because, again, by that time, you know, the, 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 the horse was out already. Everybody knew what was going on at that point. There was no hiding. I mean, you can't do that in today's day and age with scouting. But, you know, you're hoping you, you can get one and keep them under wraps as long as, long as possible. Yeah, once that toothpaste out of the tube, forget about it. Sean, exactly. uh, dude, this was great. Thanks so much for joining us again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Awesome stuff there from Sean. Hope you guys really enjoyed that. To me, there are two big takeaways from that conversation. To me, the first one, it's almost like the one-game takeaway, right? Is that uh, we do the one-play takeaway every week here on Draft Buzz. We're going to do it here in the next segment with Ben and with Dane. To me, it's scouts are people, right? And that's the thing to remember is all these scouts are individual people. And just like you and I, they've got the things are going to resonate more with them. If you see a play or a game in person or you're watching it on TV or watching it on film, there are going to be some plays and some games, some performances that stick with you throughout the evaluation process. So for Sean to say years later, what are we, we're five, six years later, uh, that that Northern Iowa game was the one that stood out. It was just so funny that he brought that up because to me, that was the game that stands out to me most about Carson Wentz. If you said, hey, Fran, what was the one game that really kind of made you fall in love with Carson? That Northern Iowa game, even though it was not his best game, that was the one that really kind of got me going and said like, yeah, like this guy's got the goods. And I think that that's the thing to kind of take away, right? Is that there are going to be those moments and that's why we have the one play takeaway in the show every single week is there are going to be those moments that stick with you throughout the the evaluation process. Could be good, could be bad, but I thought that that was a really good takeaway for, for sure. And then the other big one too is just the idea of players playing through adversity and he talked about that in that Northern Iowa game. It was not a, a great performance from Carson. He had some turnovers in the game, he had some misfires, but he was able to kind of bounce back and I think we've seen that with Carson throughout his career, right? He's kind of unflappable from that standpoint and that he's going to you're going to have negative plays. We talk about that all the time here on this show. No matter if you're playing quarterback, if you are playing wide receiver, if you're playing corner, if you're playing offensive line, you're going to get beat in the NFL. That's that's a fact of life. You're, there are going to be negative plays. Everybody is too good. You're not going to be uh, batting a thousand every single time you step between the lines. How are you going to respond to that adversity? In game, you know, you talk about having a short memory at corner. It's the same thing in a number of different positions. So you've got like the micro sense of it, but also the macro sense. And that's like the week to week adversity, the month to month, the year to year. You know, if you're a guy that's dealing with injury, how do you bounce back from that? If you're going to be benched, how do you bounce back? If you don't, you know, there are all those little things that you're dealing with on and off the field. A player's ability to deal with adversity. It's a huge, huge part of the evaluation process. And it's something that when people are talking about like football character and off-field character, trying to get a sense of uh, a guy and his mental makeup entering the NFL – 
they're always trying to find those answers because honestly, it's tough to be able to figure that out for a guy when you're trying to make that projection. So I think, you know, talking about that Northern Iowa game specifically for Carson Wentz, yeah, we, you know, the, the, his ability to fight through that negative performance, that was a, that's a huge, huge thing that I think weighed on a, a lot of people during his evaluation. Really appreciate Sean for jumping on. Hope you guys enjoyed that discussion. That being said, let's keep this one going. It's time now for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's keep things going here, talking about this past weekend in college football with Saturday Scouting as we welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugger. Guys, uh, before we get into this weekend's action, I would think the big news item from Monday, uh, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic reporting that Michigan wide receiver Nico Collins, not on the act, uh, the, the most current roster for the Wolverines, uh, he was told that uh, Nico Collins signed with an agent over the summer once it looked like that there wasn't going to be a fall season and then never came back to the team that he is training for the NFL draft. So, uh, Dane, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts uh to the the decision there by Nico Collins to officially I guess now uh, opt out of the 2021 season or the 2020 season and prepare for a 2021 NFL draft yeah it's just it's a weird situation because it's been radio silence from him uh you know he, he did sign with an agent uh over a month ago now and he just he's just been training he hasn't been back with the team and so uh you know Harbaugh said that he, he you know he's not with the team not practicing that doesn't know anything. And so it, yeah, all indications point to he's going to stay opted out. And it's a really interesting decision because, uh, I mean, there's there's plenty to like about Nico Collins. He's a well-built player, a good-sized target, uh, should run fairly well for a guy that size. Um, does a nice job in 50-50 balls. Uh, you know, I think he's he does a really nice job with balls away from his, away from his body. Uh, makes very natural adjustments. Uh, and so I think there's, there's plenty of, to like about him, but I thought he really could have helped himself with another year. And so I think you, if you're Nico Collins, you wonder about, okay, you know, you're going to have a first year starting quarterback. There's plenty of other uh, turnover uh, on that offense, especially the offensive line. I mean, is it, is it really worth my while or should I just stay opted out? It sounds like uh, he's choosing the latter, but I mean, there's, He's got some high grades from scouts. Um, you know, he was the highest graded wide receiver uh, among the seniors uh, from NFS this summer, even higher than Devontae Smith with an early second round grade. So, wow. you know, I think he's he's definitely hearing some of those uh, projections from, you know, uh, certain people. And so I think that's going into his decision. I mean, he's got outstanding size. I mean, he's a legit 6'4", right? He's over 220 pounds. I mean, a kid that big, um, certainly he can go up and win above the rim. I, I thought I was a little bit surprised by how much snap he had coming out of breaks. Um, a little bit more fluid than I expected for a guy that big. Uh, obviously, he's not like a, you know, a super explosive athlete, but... I mean, I think the the freak list had him mid four fours, like four four five, something like that. So um, look, look, this is a guy that uh, he's a big boy. Uh, he was the offensive player of the year for the Wolverines last year. He led them in touchdowns with seven. Uh, I, I watched him over the summer. He's a big, strong kid, and he can win uh, certainly in that area. But uh, Ben, what were your thoughts on Nico Collins? I was just more interested to see if these testing times, if he's a true four four player right. at over two hundred and twenty pounds, yeah. if that means he's going to be in that Miles Boykin type of conversation, Chase Claypool conversation, where I think he'll be a a day two pick in there. Um, you know, his last game, I believe he played Alabama in the bowl game, so you go watch him against some SEC corners down there. But I wanted to see what the quarterback situation was going to be now that Shea Patterson was gone and. Uh, you know, just kind of an interesting body type. But Tariq Black's gone, People Jones gone, new quarterback, was excited for him to be the go-to guy in the offense. His numbers isn't a high production share, high volume share. So I just want to see him be more of a focal point in the offense. Really like their offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, former Penn State and Alabama receiver coach. Yep. So you definitely like that pedigree he comes from. Just want to see a little bit more on the, on the field time. What do you guys think of a Hakeem Butler comp? I think he's got better ball skills than a little uh, thicker body type too, as well. Butler. Uh, Butler's, my a, biggest... Butler's a tight end now. Yeah. He's a big boy. <laughs> I mean, listed that way, at least I, I don't know. My biggest thing with Butler was just, I don't know. I, I felt like he was unreliable and that that's a, that's a big issue in the NFL with Collins. Um, I, that's one of the things I, I really like about him. I think he's dependable at size and I think he's dependable. I don't know that he's going to – like, I would guess my estimate just basing off watching him, watching the tape, is four five zero, which is still pretty good for yeah. you know, six three and a half, 215 pounds. Um, so, I, I mean, there's a lot to like about him. He's a top 100 pick. It's just, mm. you know, in a wide receiver class as strong as this one, uh, you, you know, you're, you might get 
a little bit lost uh, without mm-hmm. having any tape this season. And so I, you know, we saw Rondell Moore, uh, Rashad Bateman, uh, previous opt outs uh, go back and play this season. I think they have a chance to help themselves. Uh, Nico Collins won't have that. Yeah, so obviously a guy we're talking most likely in that day two, maybe early day three range, uh, you know, most likely. All right, let's get to uh, this weekend's action. We'll start off uh, with our game ball, our standout player from the weekend. I'll kick things off for us. Um, for me, it was watch. Obviously, the game of the week was Alabama, Georgia. And, you know, I, I'm watching the game and I'm like, all right, like Devontae Smith blew up, right? 11 catches, over 160 yards. He gets the touchdown. Uh, Jalen Waddle, six for 160 and a touchdown. Can't go back and forth with e- or went back and forth with either. Couldn't decide. So I'm like, how about the guy throwing the ball? Like, let's give some love to Mac Jones, who was really decisive in this game. He was under control. He had the pick on the very first play where his arm gets hit, and you know, you know, the pressure led to the turnover. But I thought overall, Mac Jones was was pretty impressive. And I have not studied Mac Jones yet. I've kind of been waiting for this season to develop. He became a starter late in the year last year after Tua went down. But I wanted to kind of see what would he look like, you know, in full control of this offense. So I'm excited to dig into the film of him this year. Uh, and really kind of see what he's like as a ball distributor in that offense. I came away watching on TV on Saturday, pretty impressed with Mac Jones. And I, I, I thought that he really operated the offense at a high level. Obviously, what they're doing offensively right now, I mean, it's, it's unheard of with what mm-hmm. we've seen from Nick Saban in the past. I mean, they are just doing awesome, awesome stuff, both run game and pass game. Um, conceptually, efficiency-wise, I mean, the talent is obviously there. But when you look at Mac Jones, uh, I was really impressed with his performance last week uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, he, we've we've been talking about how you know there's a big three at quarterback, but who's QB four? Who's going to emerge this year? And so far, I mean, it's, it's still early. Uh, you know, we have two conferences that haven't played yet, but it's been Zach Wilson of BYU and Mac Jones, who I think have made the loudest, uh, you know, positive impacts to say, hey, you know, we should be considered. And Mac Jones with what he's doing, I, I give a lot of credit to Sark uh, with the play calling no and what they did uh, on Saturday night. Uh, against a really, really talented Georgia uh, defense. So, uh, but Mac Jones deserves a lot of credit as well. And it, it's going to be tough because you look at the play calling, you look at all the talent around him, the offensive line. I, I mean, he's got the keys of the Ferrari. He just has to, you know, keep, keep the steering wheel straight. Uh, but he's making throws. And I love his confidence. He's putting the ball where his guys can go make plays. Um, the pocket presence is there. Uh, you see him, you know, sometimes – He'll, he'll feel some ghosts that aren't there, but, uh, you know, he will uh, operate around the noise, move his feet. Uh, I, there's a lot to like about Mac Jones. And so I, I think he's, he, he's a guy we need to be talking. Because I think, you know, it, earlier this season, it was all about, okay, well, you know, let's see what he does next week. Or let's see what he does against Georgia, real defense. And, okay, all he's done is uh, play at a high level. So he, he deserves the credit. I would take Mac Jones right now over Kyle Trask or Brock Purdy. Who seemed to be that QB four and five after those top three. And like you're saying, Zach Wilson, I think those two have certainly played their way into that discussion. And now it's just trying to figure out, you know, the KJ Costellos and uh, the kid down at Texas, Ellinger. And it seems like all these guys are kind of grouped together. And you can't forget about the X Factor, Jamie Newman, who looks like he was built in a lab the way, he, you know, his frame and arm. Uh, came out of Wake Forest. So I think that QB four or five is going to be a really interesting conversation. And Mac Jones deserves, deserves a lot more credit and attention to be an NFL prospect than I think he's receiving. Ben, keep us going here with this game. Who's uh, Who's got your game ball? Yeah, it's easy. Let's keep it on the Alabama offensive side of the ball. 564 yards of offense against this daunting Georgia defense who only allowed 700 yards the previous three games. So my game's going to the offensive line particularly that left side. We'll start with the center, Landon Dickerson, but left guard, Deontay Brown, and Alex Leatherwood there at left tackle. But Landon Dickerson, I think, is a really interesting center. And I think the the prospect draft community is a little bit behind the eight ball with the center position and some of the interior offensive linemen. This guy was a Florida State grad transfer. At Florida State, he has started games at right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle, comes over to Alabama. Oh, yeah, you're going to be our center. And he looked great out there against Georgia. A lot of one-on-one blocks against big Jordan Davis. There's a couple stalemates. That's typically how those are going to go against big Jordan Davis. But the second he was able to climb to the second level or pull out on the perimeter, a couple highlight blocks, smashing uh, Richard LeCount on the perimeter. He tossed the safety downfield. He's got an edge to him. He's mean. I just love this offensive line. 
40 carries, 167 yards. I thought they really hit their stride in the second half. I just really thought that offensive line against that, you know, dominant front seven of Georgia and Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Monty Rice and all those guys up there, really, really impressed with that group, particularly Leatherwood, Brown, and Landon Dickerson. Yeah, and especially, I mean, with what you mentioned, I think, Dane, you talked about that Georgia defensive front last week. They got your game ball. Uh, you know, what they were able to do against that front, I thought was what made that most impressive. Dane, who got uh, your game ball here? So uh, I'm going to stay in the SEC uh, and go down to uh, uh, South Carolina. And uh, J.C. Horn, I mean, yep. the game he had against Auburn, I, it, NFL evaluators, they'll stack their board uh, based on body of work, not single games. But big-time performances can have a lasting effect. And that's what Horn put together against Auburn. The final stats, six passes defended, two interceptions, three tackles. Uh, I think more impressive is just the fact that he spent most of the day shadowing Auburn's Seth Williams, uh, one of the best receivers in the country, especially when it comes to 50-50 balls and being physical. And, and you know, I haven't seen the tape yet, obviously, but just based on the broadcast viewing, this matchup showed Horn's flexibility with his hips his agile lower body uh he can mirror routes uh, his eyes always return to the backfield to find the football love his physicality and it wasn't a perfect game uh Williams did have a 44 yard uh, catch downfield that Horn gave up and he was flagged twice uh once for holding once for interference uh, somewhat questionable there but uh you know he, he that physical attitude that aggressiveness you're going to get attention from officials Despite that, it was just an overwhelmingly impressive performance. He was, uh, Williams was targeted nine times when covered by Horn. Uh, had just that one catch. So uh, Horn was my number 43 overall prospect coming into the year uh, on the top 50 board. And uh, so he was already in that early second round mix. And games like this, uh, this is what teams are going to bring up when they're trying to stack the boards uh, and draft meetings next spring. It's certainly possible you can get a first-round conversation. Hey, Dane, do you think he can play his way a little bit closer to Caleb Farley at Virginia Tech, who opted out of the season? Very similar type of press corners, both yeah. 6'1 and change, both 200 pounds. I see a similar type of pedigree. I think Farley's just been a little more consistent on tape. J.C. Horn was a guy I said over the summer, has the ability – to be a cornerback one in this class. Just yeah. a little little inconsistent on the tape. And you go through a gauntlet of SEC receivers on a week-to-week basis. He's obviously given up a couple of big plays and catches. And, and it hasn't been just this game. I mean, I, I agree with you. Last season, he you saw the obvious talent, but there were lapses uh, here and there. And that's why you know, I graded him as an early second, not a first. But this year, he's been targeted 21 times so far. He's given up four completions on the season. So 19.1 completion rate, uh, which is third lowest in all of college football. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't think he's the athlete that Farley is, but I don't think he's a bad athlete either. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, at least for me, Sertain and Farley won two. And then I think there's a group of really talented corners that we're trying to figure out, okay, you know, what is the order of these guys, guys like JC Horn, you know, Sean Wade, we're finally going to see back on the field here when the Big Ten starts uh, back up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Georgia kids with Tyson Campbell and Stokes and uh, Daniel. Uh, Darion Kendrick at Clemson, I greeted as a late one. Um, you know, Asante Samuel's still around. So this cornerback group, while I still like one and two with Samuel and Farley, that, that QB3 and beyond, it's almost kind of like last year where we had – uh, Okuda and CJ Henderson at the top. And then there was just a mix of different opinions from, you know, Trevon Diggs to AJ Ter- Terrell to Gladney, uh, Christian Fulton, I mean, on and on. So I think this year, Damon Arnett thrown in there at the last. Exactly. Second. Yeah. 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 Uh, AJ, AJ, AJ Terrell, AJ Terrell, AJ Yes. Uh, so I, I think this year's kind of similar with Sertain and Farley at the top and then a group of really, really talented guys. You know, for yeah. corners, I love seeing the forced fumbles on his resume. He's a physical guy. We'll, you yeah. know, we'll stick his head in and run support. And I, you know, the, the DPIs, the grabbing down the field, I'm kind of okay with that. You know, I can dial back the aggressive guy as opposed to trying to dial up the timid player. I know me and Fran talk about it a lot. What would you rather have? And I'd rather that aggressive corner to just kind of, yeah, let's pull him back just a little bit. Well, it's, it's funny. When you watch Horn play, you'll notice this every game. 
after there's a close call where he breaks up a pass, uh, he gets up off the ground and he immediately looks he for looks the for official. Yeah. And every single one, he's looking to make sure there's no flag. Looking because guilty. He, he, yeah, it's it's you know it's you know as a as a parent of a four and five year old, I've seen that look many times, and it, it's something that is he knows he plays physical, he knows he walks that fine line. But he's okay with it because, you know, more times than not, I, that aggressiveness is going to work in his favor. Yeah, I love that. And that's corner group is really, really exciting. And it's a group that we certainly will be talking about a lot throughout the course of the pre-draft process. Let's go to our uh, one-play takeaway, one play that stood out most for us from this weekend. Dane, I'll let you uh, kick things off for this category. I'm going to stick with the Gamecocks. Uh, Shai Smith on offense. Uh, he's quietly having a really productive season. And I think Saturday uh, was the full Shai Smith experience. Uh, there was a drop. Uh, he's the type of player who he wears his emotions on his sleeve and, and the Auburn defenders, there were times where they were getting to him, uh, but he's also resilient. And he came back in a big way with a touchdown grab over the defender. Uh, th- that was a big play in that game. Uh, but the one play that I wanted to talk about came in the fourth quarter, South Carolina, they had a one score lead and it's third and seven. Uh, the quarterback basically throws a jump ball down the sideline and Smith turns, basically tips the ball to himself comes down with it on his way down to the ground. Just a remarkable example of his competitive nature, his athleticism, just to make a play like that. Uh, so if you ask me, uh, you know, who the just the toughest wide receiver is in this class, my answer might be Shai Smith. He's physically tough, uh, mentally tough, because he loves to go at it, loves to talk. Uh, he's going to be drafted in April. I promise you that. I think it's more of a factor of, okay, how early can he get the top 100? I don't know if he's going to go that early, but he's going to get drafted. Yeah, Instagram superstar Shai Smith afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) He reminded me a lot of Emmanuel Sanders, but he's kind of a heartbreaker receiver because he'll have a couple boneheaded drops. He already has five this year. He only had six in his career coming in. Tons of penalties down the field, just mixing it up with corners and dumb stuff as well. You know, he's one of those receivers that's super talented. I see an Emmanuel Sanders when it's Mm. all kind of uh, in the right place, but we might as well stay with SEC receivers down here and we'll go Devonta Smith. Huge game against Georgia and some of those big physical corners that I was a little bit worried about. I didn't think that was a good matchup for Devontae Smith. And he had a nice touchdown catch two plays earlier, forced a DPI that I thought was great coverage by Eric Stokes. I thought he squeezed him right out of bounds. And that was kind of my tweet coming of saying, this is my issue with Devontae Smith. If he can't win on his release, can he maybe get bullied because he's only about 175 pounds? But he lined up in number three on his touchdown. Looked like he was working to the corner. Savvy Mac Jones threw him a little back shoulder. The DB wasn't looking. He just plays so much bigger at the catch point than his 175-pound frame would suggest. I think he snatched the ball away. Stokes was in good spot. Didn't look for the ball. Rather played through his hands. And Smith said, no, you're, you're not raking this ball out of me. And that's what he's done throughout his career. So physical and competitive at the catch point. Love to see that. And then when they were up comfortably – know two three scores he caught a little bubble screen and absolutely trucked Richard LeCount for an eight or nine yard game where LeCount just goes flying two or three yards I just wanted to tack on that one more play because he shows you time and time again he will play stronger than his frame and weight may suggest I don't want to beat a dead horse because I feel like we've had this discussion a couple times in the last like month and a half with with Smith, but he's just going to be a fascinating case study, right? Because yeah. guys that are that small, that that's thin, you know, in terms of his light frame, that don't have that explosive, you know, second third gear. He, did, I mean, he's going to run like what low four fives, like at best like high four fours, but most likely he's going to run low to mid four fives at one seventy, one eighty, soaking wet, like. That's that's not a common combination. And so I feel like that's going to be a really interesting case study with how he's evaluated. I feel I feel like right now a lot of, you know, the mock drafts is like, "Oh, you know, he's he's top 15, he's top 15." Uh, well, we get to like March, you know, March 8th or if, the, if that's when the combine, we don't know if that's when the combine is going to be this year, but if we when we get to like early March, We'll see if that's going to be like the consensus. Uh, I'm really interested to see because he's a hell of a football player and a guy I love watching. He's so much fun, but man, like it's going to be a really interesting discussion. This spring for scouts, he was 170 pounds and he ran a 4.52. Now, you know, give him some training. Maybe he, you know, gets down to the four fours and, uh, you know, have a big breakfast. He'll get up to 175. But that's just, you know, on paper, this guy is not who you want. But you watch the film and he's exactly who you want. So it really will be an interesting conversation. And, you know, uh, above all, I'm going to trust the tape. 
But yeah, I, I definitely think I agree with you, Fran. There will be teams that kind of look at that and say, well, okay. I mean, you know, we, we don't see guys like this. I mean, okay. Yeah. Marvin Harrison was able to be that light and, you know, have that type of ability, but you know, are you really going to say this guy's the next Marvin Harrison? So there will be teams that would not draft him in the top 50, but I, I bet you there will be a team that drafts him in the first round, and I, I bet they'll be happy they did. Well, really quick, he was eligible last year, just putting you guys on the spot. You had T. Higgins at 33, Michael Pittman 34, you know, LaVishka Chenault at 42. Is he in that mix in the early second round, or do you see him going in the first round if he had come out last year? I know a bit of a uh, kind of projection <sighs> exercise here, but. It's tough because, it's yeah, really you tough. have. Yeah. You had Rager, what, 21, and then mm-hmm. Jefferson right after him. And Brandon then Ayuk, Ayuk at 25, yep. Right, and so it's like, I think those guys were types. You know, like I, Rager was a certain type. Jefferson was a certain type. Uh, you know, Ayuk was a certain type with what those teams were looking for, where Smith, I don't know that he is a certain type. He is just, he's a very unique talent, but maybe the best all-around uh, in terms of what he offers, elite ball skills, the you know, his dynamic routes, um, you know, the toughness that you talked about. I mean, he's just, he might be, uh, you know, the most well-rounded in terms of overall skill set. But yeah, I don't know. It's tough. It's and tough that's goal. a good exercise for, you know, draft fans listening. You know, grab a player from this class, go back to last year and start to go through these big board decisions you have in the war room. 46, Denver Broncos. Are we taking KJ Hamler? Are we taking Devontae Smith? And let's talk about the traits kind of thing. It's always a good exercise to kind of take guys and put them back and figure out the pecking order. And I'm just looking like the guys that are that have that skill set in the NFL. Like, you know, is he Stephon Diggs? Like, I don't know if he's quite as explosive as Diggs, but maybe like, I mean, Diggs went fourth round, right? So I'm just looking around like, who are the guys in the league that kind of remind me of him have that same skill set? Like Robert Woods is a name that I keep kind of falling back to uh, as a guy that I think could fit that. Calvin Ridley, certainly coming out of Alabama. Uh, he That's was a little one. bit smaller. He didn't run quite as well as people were hoping for. You know, maybe maybe that's another one as well. Um, it's it's gonna it's just it's gonna be a really fun discussion. We'll continue to talk about Devontae Smith. What if he turns into Adam Thielen? You know, is that a win if you take him in the top fifty? Is that you did you yeah, see I that? S- yeah, I, I see a lot of Marvin Harrison in his game, and yeah. I, I realize that's a Hall of Famer, but and you know, Hall of Famer at Peyton Manning for all those years. But I mean, I see that type of you know the toughness, the the size, the the speed. Uh, I mean, I don't know, I, I, and that's. It's tough when you compare him to a Hall of Famer like that, but no that, you, you can't help but see shades of Harrison. So for me, I'm going to go with my one play takeaway. I'm going to stay with Alabama, and I'm going to go with Jalen Waddell. For obvious reasons, it was the 90-yard touchdown. Uh, guys, I don't know about you, but watching that game, I just feel like that's when the tide no, – no, actually, I shouldn't even say you – know, not, pun not intended. <laughs> the tide turned all that 90-yard touchdown. Like To me, that was like, oh, man, like Alabama's got this. You know, like I don't know if that's how it was for you, but after that touchdown, I was like, I, I don't know if Georgia – uh, is going to come back and win this one. And we know he's got that kind of game-breaking ability. I don't know there's much to be said after that. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be the, the long touchdown, the big play that stands out to me um, from Jalen Waddell uh, overall once we get to April. But it certainly is going to be one of them. And that's one of those plays that uh, certainly really, really – Well, Fran, take that one step deeper. What about that play trait-wise did you see? Because what I've seen from Jalen Waddell in 2020 is a much stronger player down the field at the top of his route. And I think he got tangled with the corner just a little bit and the corner ended up falling down but you know what for whatever the reason is he seems to be playing through contact within the route and at the catch point which we've seen some very aggressive catches uh, I just want to know if you saw anything particular on that play obviously the home run speed once he gets in the open field you're not catching that guy yeah to me like the it was almost the discussion we had with Henry Ruggs last year where there weren't a ton of examples of him tracking the deep ball right of him looking in over his shoulder finding and finishing that was an example of that where you could see that with Waddle. And to me, like th- those are the ones that can be difficult to come across and being able to see him do that uh, in, a, in a, such a big spotlight uh, to me is the, is the big takeaway uh, in watching Waddle on that snap. Um, all right, let's get to our next category here. And that's our down the road free show. Dane, I'll let you kick ones off for, uh, for us here. What a turnaround. Sam Pittman uh, has orchestrated yeah. as the first year head coach at Arkansas. Uh, I, they're impressing on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, Ole Miss scored almost 50 points against Alabama, and then uh, Arkansas is able to hold them to what 21 or wherever it was. So, uh, but I want to talk about an Arkansas player on offense, uh, true sophomore receiver Traylon Burks. 
against Ole Miss on Saturday, 11 catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown. And then that one touchdown was a ridiculous one-handed grab in the corner of the end zone. This guy is 6'3", 230. That's what he's listed at. Uh, long, rangy, intriguing athletic gifts. If he can improve his consistency a little bit, uh, you know, he had, he had a drop. And there were a few times where you could, you could tell he's, little, he's freelancing a little bit with his routes. But, I mean, the, the, he's got the talent where we, we'll be talking about him uh, maybe at this time next year mm. as a possible early-round prospect. He's really, really intriguing. Ben, who do you got for us? Well, I don't know if you guys watched this barn burner of a game in the American Conference, UCF and Memphis. Saw the Memphis score. Won, Memphis won 50-49, to 49, and these quarterbacks were throwing the ball over the yard. Brady White, six touch, touchdowns. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, UCF quarterback, who I think is a freshman or sophomore, but he's about 5'10", 180 pounds. He had five touchdowns and 600 yards. But I want to start talking about these young receivers, and I think I mentioned them a couple weeks ago. Little receiver Jalen Robinson for UCF. He's a four-star Oklahoma transfer. He's in that 2-2 Atwell, Deshaun Jackson, small kind of mold. He had 10 for 173 and two touchdowns in that Memphis game. But he's got 100 yards in every game this season. And he's starting to really grab my attention for his down-to-play ability, his catch-point ability, and just his game-breaking speed on a week-to-week basis. And this offense is so much fun. They throw the ball down the field all the time. Tons of young, speedy receivers. They literally have three or four that are in that 5'9", 175 mold, and they're all just wicked fast. Really fun offense. So if you ever see that uh, that UCF team out there, be sure to check out the offense. So Jalen Robinson, he's small, but he's an Oklahoma transfer with some serious, serious speed. Yeah, I, you talked about uh, Kevin Harris, the South Carolina running back last week here on the show, and he's a true sophomore, 5'10", 225 pounds. And I'll tell you what, the two games that I watched this week, I watched the Alabama game and I watched that South Carolina game. And watch it anytime Kevin Harris touched the ball, he's not like a guy that I think we're going to go like goo goo gaga over in terms of the traits, but he seemed to just – do something good every single time he touched the ball. Like you, you see the contact balance. He's got some shake to him. I'm excited to dig deeper into him. What you know, it'll probably be next summer when he's going into his junior year. But he see every time he touched the ball, I caught. I thought like, there's that, there's that Harris again. Like he, he just looks like a competent player moving forward with the NFL. Again, I don't know that watching him, I'm like, oh man, this guy's going to be a three down player. But uh, certainly an NFL player, I think we're going to be talking about. You don't see many 225 pound backs anymore. He's yeah, a he's that. Everybody's that slasher type or you're a little more in that 210, you know, so you could be a perimeter back and just an explosive athlete. Kevin Harris looks like that kind of old school bell cow between the tackles, but he can pick up his feet and he's got some, you know, ability to bounce off tackles. He's just a good looking running back. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get to our last category here, guys, and that is our uh, film room recap. We're just going to talk about a player that we put some time into studying in the film room over the course of the last week, and, I, and I'll kick one, uh, kick things off here with this one. I'm going to go with uh, Pitt's defense, and we've talked about their defensive end, Patrick Jones. We've talked about the defensive tackle, Jalen Twyman, who opted out and is in this draft. Let's talk about the other senior defensive end, and that's Rashad Weaver, six foot five. 270 pounds and this guy's a two-year starter he missed all of last year due to a torn ACL came back this year uh and then you know by the way that 2018 season led the team in sacks led the team in TFLs was extremely productive um comes back this season watched a couple of games over the court over the weekend this kid I mean he's he's not like super explosive or twitchy which you would expect from 6'5 270 um, but he is long he's got a thick frame he's got power to collapse the pocket he's good against the run he's got a couple of uh, nice pass rush moves everything starts with that long arm and he's able to convert to a couple of different moves off of that he times the snap well he's usually one of the first panthers out of his stance and he's just a disruptive guy I just don't know that he's got you know we talk about like the top end athletic traits where we're going to be going crazy about him, you know, come uh, March, April. But the kid's a good football player. And whether he goes, you know, third round, second round, fourth round, I feel like he's going to be somewhere uh, in that range. There are some teams I feel like he's going to be a great fit for. Others, you know, he might get like that. I don't, I don't know exactly what he is for us. But at 6'5", 270, uh, this kid was very disruptive. I, I enjoyed watching him. I think that they're he's, he's a little bit different than Patrick Jones, but I ended up giving him the same grade. I think that they'll both be competent players, probably more rotational players uh, in the NFL. But uh, I did 
did enjoy watching Weaver. I, and I'm excited to do a little bit more. The guy that I actually wrote down as a comp was Alex Okafor, who has turned into uh, mm. that kind of player, like a, a third defensive end, sometimes a second defensive end um, for his team, depending on the, you know, the depth chart that given year uh, for whatever defense he's on, whether he's in Arizona or New Orleans, um, you know, big physical kid, high motor. I kind of think that the Weaver kind of fits that bill. I think I called him Preston Smith, more of that kind of heavy edge. I'm not twitching the corner. I'm rarely a high side rusher. I'm usually going to go through you or kind of inside of you. May interested you to know Rashad Weaver is leading the country in QB pressures at the moment. Yep. So he's a guy that's been productive when he's on the field. Just that ACL injury last year uh, really hurt his stock. And I think Smith, I think Smith is a little bit looser, a little bit more versatile. Like you know, he's Preston Smith started his career in a three-four uh, in Washington. Obviously, now playing for Mike Pettin in Green Bay, I feel like he's got a little bit more versatility in terms of how he can be used. I kind of think but definitely Weaver, a good image body type wise of yeah. what you're getting on the edge. This isn't a little Von Miller or no. a guy kind of you know beating people with the first step or around the edge or anything. Definitely not. Now, he he's. This senior class for pass rushers is really fun. And I think he's in that mix. You've got, you know, Quiddy Pay from Michigan and Carlos Basham. Uh, I think those guys are, you know, top 50 types of players. But D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky, he's in that mix. Uh, the kid at Vanderbilt, uh, Odeng Ingbo, uh, he's in that mix. But, Dane, uh, it's like D'Angelo Malone, Quincy Roche, the uh, Hamilcar Rashid in Oregon State. These guys are all 230, 235 pounds. Oh, no, that, that's what I'm saying. You know? yeah, so Rashad they're, Weaver, they're, Patrick Jones, we're talking 265, 270. I love right. just the different types of edge, edge and that's That's exactly what I'm saying because Pay and Basham are both over 270 pounds. Uh, you know, Weaver, I agree. He's somewhere in that day two mix. Uh, they just, they all look a little bit different with what they offer. Quincy Roche, I, he's, I think he's the toughest one to really figure out because he's got speed around the edge, but I just, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's some other questions about him. So it's this senior uh, class of pass rushers is really fun. And like the most natural might be Chris Rumpf and he might be the worst football player at any of them. So it's, you know, it's such an interesting mix of traits and ability. All right. So Dane, take us through yours. Uh, so I'm going with uh, Rashawn Slater uh, as I continue to work through all these opt-outs. Um, he, it's interesting. He played at a high school program uh, out, just outside of Houston that won three total games in his three seasons on varsity. Uh, he goes to Northwestern, and head coach Pat Fitzgerald, generally not a coach that plays a ton of young players, and Slater earns the starting right tackle job almost immediately. He starts there for two years, moves to left tackle last year as a junior, and he made the transition look pretty natural, uh, not allowing a sack. And he was one of the few who found success uh, going up against Chase Young. That tape against Ohio State last year is something that uh, will really kind of carry him and his evaluation throughout the process. So um, uh, what I love most about him, uh, I think, just watching the film, uh, the aggressive approach, he looks to engage quickly. He looks to attack, attack, attack before rushers can set up moves or get downhill. And he does it without being, uh, you know, he plays urgent without playing over aggressive or too aggressive where, uh, you know, savvy rushers are able to, you know, get him off track. So I see an NFL starter with Rashawn Slater, and I'm very confident about that. The main question is maybe just what position. Uh, his arms look shorter than 33 inches. He, If I had to guess right now, and this is just my uh, you know, uh, best guess based off film, I would say, uh, you know, like 32 and seven eighths, uh, arms, that would be my mm-hmm. guess. So yep. it'll be inter- interesting to see what he actually is, but he plays so technically sound that I think he can stay at tackle in the NFL. Uh, some teams will definitely have him on the board as a guard or a center, but I, I think regardless of the position, uh, Slater's legit. Yeah, I, I'm. A, I'm right now. I feel like he's more of a guard, but I'm interested to do a little so. bit more, a uh, little bit more work on him and continue to watch him. Ben, it, it's the Isaiah Wynn conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I think a lot of people have a guard, but you know, it it just really depends where he lands. Hmm. Ben, yeah, my my comp right now actually was Joel Petonio, and I love writing mm-hmm. the two uh, traits I've written down: excellent lateral quickness in the zone schemes, powerful on double teams and the gap schemes. You love seeing a guy that can do both, and I just want to get more attention to this Kentucky offensive line. They dominated the University of Tennessee last week. Left tackle Landon Young's a draftable player. Right tackle Darian Kennard's a draftable player. But their center Drake Jackson, I think, needs more attention. And like I'm saying, that neglected center position across the country. Drake Jackson, Landon Dickerson, but Drake Jackson, excellent, excellent combo blocks last week against Tennessee, picking off guys on the second and third levels. He'll move a nose tackle out of the way if he's covered up, but he's the guy, just watch the tape and watch pre-snap. 
This guy's talking to everybody. He's turning around talking to the running backs, the quarterbacks. He'll run over and whisper something to his left tackle. He's not just calling out mic points. He's literally changing blocking schemes, making sure everyone's accounted for. This guy's sitting there like a field general before the snap, pointing guys out and talking left and right. It's really fun to watch. Literally, go watch that Tennessee tape and all the communicating he does. I know it's something you like to see, Fran, from those centers, especially in college. Uh, maybe uh, maybe that's our under the hood this week is center because I, I know you've talked a lot about uh, this center class and the you know the different players that you like all around the country. Um, yeah, I have not done him yet, but excited to to watch him based off your evaluation. Um, He's guys, a good player. Yeah, this this is uh, we've covered a lot of players so far. We're going to cover three more here. It's time for our next segment. Let's go on the clock. On the clock. All right, excited to keep things going here on On the Clock. And again, just as a reminder, everybody, uh, Dane's got three wins here in this segment. I've got two. Ben's got one. So uh, still you know, a pretty tight race here as we keep things going, as we welcome in uh, Chris McPherson back to the show. C-Mac, uh, thanks for once again for joining us. No problem. Have we determined what the trophy or belt will be? And when does this end? I mean, are we going to go to like draft day? Will it be like after Mr. Irrelevant? is announced will we be like okay the champion of the on the clock segment uh, i think it should actually kick off the the nfl draft right before that number one pick just tell goodell hold on a second we have an award to, to give out here and i think it'll, the, flow, I mean, it'll flow the, great into the broadcast you're the guy working on the broadcast i mean you could pull some strings and make that happen right oh we'll have we'll have xo packages we'll have some fonts a couple of full screens we got I mean, the research we, team working i don't want to speak out of school but we found out when we were talking off air that dane is into woodworking so maybe dane can uh, you can whip up Ooh. a little bit of a trophy for us there you go just tell me what you want and make it happen <laughs> something a, a nice cedar maybe with a yeah, good right. you know, glossy finish yeah, put a poly on it. Okay, I like it. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into this week. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the topic this week, who is our favorite first-round sleeper? So a guy that uh, you know people are not talking about necessarily as a, as a potential first-round pick. Now, uh, when I brought this up as a topic, I thought, you know, Dane, Ben, you guys did a great job of kind of making sure, All right, well, what's a, a universal way that we can decide who's available for this list and who's not? And so what the decision was, let's go off of Dane's preseason top 50 board so if a guy was on that top 50 list then they are not eligible for this segment so uh, a guy that's outside of the round one of round one that we feel could make their way into that first round as a sleeper uh the order that we're gonna go this week dane got first pick he will go first ben got the second pick and then i will round it out with the third selection so uh dane with that being said i'll let you uh, kick things off here all right. Well, uh, doing a something like this can be tough because you know sleeper subjective and all that. But uh, a guy who's really making a name for himself right now, and I think he's entered this territory as being a sleeper for the first round. Uh, he's a pass rusher, and we know aside from quarterback, the most important position on the roster is the pass rusher, and no one has affected the quarterback more in the SEC this season than Georgia's Aziz Ojulari. Leads the conference, 17 pressures, three forced fumbles. Uh, leads Georgia with six tackles for a loss, three sacks. And, you know, we, you could see it uh, on Saturday night. It was his pass rush in the opening play uh, against Alabama that forced the interception. And I think for, just from a tool standpoint, he has the athletic twitch that you want rushing off the edge, that explosive first step, oily hips, well-timed hands, so he can disrupt the rhythm of blockers. He gets upfield so fast, and he has all the bend that you want to win at the top of the rush. Uh, some might say he's undersized, and I think that's why he qualifies kind of a little bit of a, of a sleeper, or, you know, a first-round sleeper that no one's really – or no one's talking about at length, at least at this point. He's also young. He's only a redshirt sophomore, uh, but 6'2", 245. He uses that size to his advantage because he can dip underneath blocks and flatten to the quarterback. So I think the size, he actually understands how to make that work in his favor. Uh, and it also, even for a redshirt sophomore, he was one of the he was one of the captains on Saturday night. So that says something about how the coaches view him, even as a young player. So listen, if uh, if this guy was a stock, I'd be calling my in laws for an advance on the inheritance because he continues to go up with each game. There ain't no insider trading here. Okay, we gotta keep it okay. legit. All right, all right. Gotta keep on up and up. Did he? Does he have a bigger role this year than last year? Is that why he's maybe not on the radar? Maybe he didn't crack your your preseason top fifty. Yeah, and I think just he he was he's a younger guy. He was a redshirt freshman last year. He did play a lot, and he he was uh, you know he flashed. But this year, 
you could just see it coming together for him. Um, you know, he's becoming more consistent on a snap in, snap is, uh, snap out basis, and just uh, really coming into his own. He, I think he's got everything you want except for maybe that elite size. Okay, Fr- uh, Fran, any counterpoints? You know, the one thing, and I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a counterpoint, but I think the one thing that is working in his favor is that I don't know that there are a lot of edge rushers that we're looking at as like locks for round one, right? Dane, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, you know, there's a couple guys in the Big Ten that we haven't seen yet, you know, Quiddy Pay and Jason Owe, who, you know, we really like. But, you know, I think that's that's the biggest thing is, you know, who's going to be that pass rusher this year? Gregory Rousseau from Miami we've talked about. Uh, but, you know, this is the type of guy who could get up into that conversation if he plays the rest of the season like he started the first four games. So it's a situation. There's no Chase Young this year. There's no, no, no Bosa's. No Bosa's. No standout like must-have guy who's going to be in that conversation. That right after quarterback, you got to take this guy in the top five. At least as of we're recording this on October nineteenth. Well, and some some really like Russo right. uh, out of Miami, but I think you know the those of us on this podcast. Uh, see a really talented but still pretty raw player. So I don't. He's not in that Chase Young category, but you know he he could end up going top ten. But still, we're you know that top tier of pass rushers in this draft is a really unsettled group at this point. Ben, you're being very quiet there. I'm a little concerned. Well, I like Ojolari. He might be the most explosive and flexible edge rusher in this entire class, and he has good size and just a weird mix of edge rushers. You have some really undersized guys. You have some long and lean guys. You have some heavy guys. Not a whole lot of that explosive step or the bend around the corner. You know, it reminds me a little little bit the way Harold Landry came out of Boston College, who I think just squeezed in the second round because of a knee injury. So I could definitely see old Jolari being in that 20 to 40 kind of ballpark that, you know, you want a quarterback hunter off the edge. He's, he's kind of your guy. All right, Ben, you're up. Number two here. Who you got? You know, there's a couple other edge rushers I was, uh, you know, debating between, but I'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball, offensive tackle. Seems like we always find a couple tackles falling their way into the back side of round one, whether it's Ryan Ramchek or even like a Caleb McGarry, you know, coming in at the 13th hour to the Atlanta Falcons when they double dipped on offensive line. And I've talked about this guy this year, and he has just continued to impress me, impress me, impress me on a week-to-week basis. And that's senior left tackle Liam Eckenberg at Notre Dame. I just think this kid has gotten stronger in the offseason, which was my main kind of a correctable point that I wanted to see from his tape last year. Prototypical size, frame, length, weight, very calm pass sets, gets to his landmark, can run the arc really well, reacts to games and blitzes and uh, stunts and loops in front of him really well because he keeps his eyes up. He flies out of his stance, but he does it under control. Really powerful punch, can mirror you know speed rushers running the arc. He's got a little bit more of an edge this year in the run game. This Notre Dame team is 4-0, absolutely clicking. Can't wait to see him against Pitt next week and some very productive edge rushers. They have the guy that's leading the country in sacks and pressures. Two different guys, actually, for the Pitt Panthers. So I want to see him next week. And Eggenberg has really, really impressed me. And then after Penny Sewell, CMAC, who is the clear-cut number one tackle, it's a bit of a hodgepodge after that. You know, you have Walker Little at Stanford, Alex Leatherwood at Alabama, Samuel Cosme. It's a couple guys all grouped together there that I think when it's all said and done, we get the guys in the underwear Olympics. Maybe he makes his way down to the senior bowl. I think he's going to emerge as offensive tackle three or four and really come into that back end of round one for a contending team that might need a right tackle or maybe a left tackle of the future. So he's a guy I think is a very safe pick uh, that will squeeze his way into the back end of round one. I mean, you look at last year's draft, several tackles were going on top of the class. So certainly offensive tackle three, certainly, especially if they're good quality. And for your perspective, the type of player I think he's going to be is like the way Anthony Costanzo has kind of settled in at left tackle for the Colts. Not a sexy name, but not a guy you're looking to, to replace at all either. He's not a liability. He's a very steady player for you. And I think that's what Eckenberg can be for 10 years for somebody's blind side. What's Eckenberg's background in terms of where he's played? 
He's strictly left tackle now. Primarily left tackle. Yep. He was a, uh, a pretty high, you know, uh, recruit coming in four star. He took over that left tackle spot from previous first round pick, Mike McClinchy from previous first round pick, Ronnie Stanley, bit of a pedigree over there at left tackle. And I don't think uh, the Niners and the Ravens have really had too many issues with those picks so far. No, I was going to, the pedigree thing I was going to bring up. That's something that'll probably work in his favor just a bit there. So Fran, anything you want to argue there or, or Dane, let me give you a chance to, uh, well, I'd like to throw to one more thing in CMAC, just, uh, just for your perspective as well, 2019 and 2020, I think we have about 16 games under our belt right now. No sacks given up. So this guy is just doing his job on a weekend week out basis. And again, may not be the sexiest guy, but watch him on film in a vacuum. He does his job on a down to down basis. Dane, before, before Fran goes, you pick out, pick the argument apart there. Eichenberg's been solid. I mean, I don't know that he has one trait that you point to and say, you know, that that's, you know, that's the definite strength that he brings to, to, uh, to the field. And so I think, you know, he had mostly third round grades in the preseason. He's played well this year so far. Um, You know, I don't know if I'm ready to put him in the first, but I, I think he is a steady, reliable player. And of course there's always room in the NFL for tackles, like that. I'm just not convinced yet he gets into that first round conversation. All right, Fran. Well, and that to me, like, and that's a perfect segue into my guy. And to me, look, because when I look at Eckenberg and I look at you look at the profile, there's no traits that make you go, like, hmm, like, all right, like, this is something you really hang your hat on. Then you look to my guy, and I'm going to stick at the offensive tackle spot because I think that Ben makes a really good argument there uh, for not only the the position, right, and, and that we're going to see uh, guys sneak into the back end of round one along the offensive line spot all the time. It's one of the most valued positions in football, offensive tackle. Every year over the last few years, you see five, six guys get drafted at that position in round one. As we've talked about here on this show over the last few weeks, that's not necessarily the case here in this season. We don't know who those top tackles are going to be. So I think that there is room to grow, much like how uh, Dane made the argument with Ojolari. I think you look at that with these tackles and say, all right, well, if we only are talking about two or three guys as locks for round one right now, who are the guys that are going to move into that spot? Who's Titus? Who's going to be this year's Titus Howard from Alabama State? Who's going to be this year's Isaiah Wilson from Georgia? Who's going to play their way into round one? Those guys had traits. My guy right here, Daniel Fa'alele from Minnesota, has traits. And C-Mac, wow. when you look at uh, his background, it is very similar to a guy that we have really enjoyed watching over the last three weeks here in Philadelphia in Jordan Mailata. He's from Melbourne, Australia, did not grow up playing football. He's six foot nine. <sighs> 400 pounds, like Tom Brady, four, like hold up the number four, four bills, all right, six, nine, 400, but he is a unique athlete for a guy that size. He moves very well. So I think when you look at what Isaiah Wilson did, sneaking into the 30th overall pick last year as a redshirt sophomore, had not played a ton of football, this guy is more athletic, and honestly, his tape is better than Isaiah Wilson's was last year as the 30th overall pick coming out of Minnesota or coming out of Georgia. You look at Fa'alele at that size, this guy's just impossible to get around. He was going to go. He was going to show up as the uh, as Ben is letting me know that Mylotta went in the seventh round. He never played a doubt of football, and he went in the seventh round. <laughs> this guy has been a two-year starter. Is going into his third year as a starter for Minnesota. So we'll see him starting this weekend. He they, the plan for him right away was oh well, there's no way this guy's going to play. I mean, he's never played football before. He was basically a water boy when he showed up to play high school football at IMG Academy, and they said all right, well you're going to play. You're you're going to play your next year. He goes to Minnesota, and they were like yeah, like we're going to we're going to redshirt you. You're not going to play. And then they realized in practice, like, we got to put this guy out in the field. And he was impossible to get around. He goes and he, it was all Big Ten last year. He was blocking for one of the most prolific offenses in the entire in the history of uh, Minnesota the, uh, last year at right tackle. You look at where he's going to be three, four, five years from now, I think people are going to bet on the traits of Daniel Falalele. So if I'm talking about who's a guy at a priority position with outstanding traits who could really wow people, not just with what he's done on film, but in the pre-draft process, the kid's only a junior. We don't know if he's going to declare or not. But to me, Daniel Falalele is a guy that's a sleeper that could end up in the first round when it's all said and done. I mean, we talked about Mekhi Becton being a, a yeah. mammoth of a man. This guy, he's he's ago. ridiculous. I mean, the, the I mean, unique's not even a word. I would like truly, truly rare size and frame for a guy that you know for a guy of that position. It doesn't worry you in pass pro a little bit. I mean, I, he's a good athlete for four hundred pounds, relatively speaking. 
But still, I, I don't know. I worry about him in pass pro a little bit. Uh, it faces NFL speed. I never watched him and thought, oh, man, this guy's in trouble. And I watched him against Iowa, and I watched him against Penn State. Uh, both, the, both those teams have NFL-quality pass rushers uh, on them from last year. And I never thought, like, oh, man, like, I don't know if this kid's got it. He, he's not, he's not going to have – he's not going to look like Laramie Tunsil. But at 6'9", 400, we've talked about that with, with, uh, with Mylotta, like – He's just tough to get around. At the end of the day, like you got to get around that guy. Uh, and we've seen big tackles go, you know, go high in the draft. I think that he's certainly a guy that has that. C Mac, my comps are Zach Banner in the Big Show. So it's somewhere between those <laughs> two, you know, caliber of athletes. Oh, this this is a great great topic. I think it's great introducing fans to these players in advance because they're going to be the risers, you know, come like February and March, and you can go back to the podcast and say. Look, these three guys were on these guys' radar back in uh, in October. So don't be surprised when these guys are discussed. There. This whole conversation is really just uh, this Dane Brugler guy missed out his preseason rankings on all these first round <laughs> picks. <laughs> yeah, I, th- these are sleepers, though. I mean, I I, oh. I, I agree with Audulary. Uh, the other two, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so. This is oh, it's interesting. You know, Audulary obviously going to be on the spotlight. I, I saw the play they made early on the other night there, getting Georgia the early turnover. They Whoa, you're not supposed to be coming in there. with any background, C-Mac. <laughs> I didn't know who it was. Hey, I just hey, saw he, he's no college football this season. He's an educated man, okay? <laughs> Let him do his thing. I was like, I, I, you know, it was, it was nice to just be able to sit, watch the game like a fan, check it out there. You know, didn't, didn't I didn't know who, who made the pressure on the play or whatever. Just saw that, you know. Well, I'm assuming you, know. you dedicated three and a half hours to the Notre Dame-Louisville game as well. I did 12, not. Seven barn burner. You know, I did not, and and thankfully enough. So, um, <laughs> as we're going to make the decision here, you know, this is this is really really good because you can always poke holes in all three of these. It's to be like, how's a four hundred guy pound guy going to be a sleeper? You know, how's a Georgia pass rusher? You know, performing well on the on the bright lights and everything going to you know go under the radar? Uh, I, I mean, just just to kind of even the uh, the matchup here a little bit, Ben. Uh, you, you know, I like Notre Dame, and uh, you know they turn out some good offensive linemen. So if a guy's going a little under the radar at this point in the process, I'll, I'll go with a little Eckenberg love here. So so I'll go give you the win there. Don't Dame. don't precede it with any pity votes here. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to just even up the scoreboard here. I want to earn it. <laughs> you can change. You can change your mind, C Mac. <laughs> not too early it's never yeah, too it's, early yeah no, and tell you what it would be interesting if Eichenberg ends up going in the first I, I think so every left tackle since 2012 at Notre Dame would be a future first rounder because Zach Martin started at left tackle and I believe it's 2012 uh and then you had Stanley after him McGlinchey and then Eichenberg I mean that'd be a pretty impressive pipeline uh left tackle in the NFL agreed all right, well, guys, this was fun. Really good conversation. C-Mac, thanks again for joining us here. Uh, ben, we'll talk to you later this week. Dane, we'll talk to you next Monday as well. Before we continue with this episode, it's really important to me that I talk about voting. Now, depending on where, when you're listening to this episode, we're just two weeks away from Election Day, and the deadline to register to vote has likely passed in your state. Now, last week on the show, I talked about mail-in voting and why it's both perfectly safe and perfectly legal to fill out a mail-in ballot. So this week, I wanted to talk about the importance of voting. There's been a lot of discussion about how important this 2020 election is, and why is that? Not only is it a presidential election, but votes are also going to choose 11 governors. 35 U.S. Senators, 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, as well as hundreds of state and local officials. That's just from an individual candidate standpoint. But then you think about what you're voting for. What are the issues that are important to you? And when you're voting on the national level, these are the different things that you're going to make your opinion heard on. You've got issues like national security, global policy, international commerce, taxes, medicine and food safety standards, the Postal Service, all those national issues. Then you get to the state level, and that's where you're voting on issues like public education, auto insurance, highway maintenance, environmental protection on the state land, and even things like fishing and hunting licenses. Then you get to the local level, and that's where things like school lunches, judges, 
local police, rec programs, public services, all of those issues. Now, not all of these things that I just listed are going to be important to you, but some of them are, right? So at every level of government, there are things that either impact your day-to-day life, they align with your views on our society as a whole, or they impact the bottom line for you at the end of the year or at the end of the tax season. So remember, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election four years ago. Please, you have to do what you can to help us lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. So as I said at the top of the show, the best way to throw us your support is going to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out here to Sugarcane590, who left a comment and a five-star review uh, saying, do teams look at opportunities as a co- to add college teammates as a big plus, so to draft college teammates together? He said, especially if it's for a similar position group. For example, with all the prospects coming out of the Oregon secondary, love the podcast. Keep it up. So uh, that's a great question, Kane. And I, to me, I think I look at this. Yes, there are definitely uh, advantages to adding players from the same program because uh, you know you give you give yourself some familiarity, especially if it's a top pick, right? So uh, let's say you draft a guy in the first round or the second round, you really want that guy to feel comfortable right away, help him get adjusted to the NFL. Adding a teammate, whether it's through the draft or undrafted free agency, certainly helps a guy with that transition, right? Both on and off the field, just gives him a familiar face to kind of go through everything with. And as you mentioned, if it's a guy that's at a similar position group, whether that means uh, in the same DB room or even something where it's like a quarterback with a wide receiver or a quarterback with a running back or an offensive lineman. Now he's got somebody that he can kind of study the playbook with and just kind of get on the same page with. So I, I think that certainly does come into uh, into play. Obviously, the, the scenarios, that they're kind of, I, I don't want to say they're few and far between, but teams don't typically have that opportunity where uh, you're going to draft two players at the same position and have guys graded in a way that you would draft them uh, the same way. I, I think that that's a pretty rare thing to happen, but the, you certainly aren't against it, and you like the the idea of being able to do that. I remember um, when the Eagles drafted Carson Wentz. We talked about that earlier in the show. You know, they brought in several, a couple players as well uh, from North Dakota State, and I, I don't want to say that that was exactly what they had in mind there, but I think that that just kind of helps in terms of you know helping out uh, that player's transition come from college to the NFL. And the other big thing too is uh, you know the, when the Eagles are in there, they're scouting Carson Wentz, and you've got all eyes on there. That helps other guys kind of you know get uh, get seen by NFL teams as well. So uh, you know maybe if there, if you are a fringe prospect that uh, might might get drafted, maybe you're a seventh round pick or an undrafted free agent. Hey, if you got uh, every team in the NFL is coming through Fargo, North Dakota to watch North Dakota State quarterback Carson Wentz. Well, now yeah, now I'm going to have eyes on me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So the, I think that certainly comes into play. But when you talk about that Oregon team, uh, certainly they've got count, talent at corner, they've got talent at safety, both for this draft and for drafts to come. Uh, so if teams go in and they say, yeah, like we really like this guy, maybe we can pair him uh, with this other corner. That's certainly something that I'm, I'm sure that some teams will will look at uh, and have that opportunity. It's just uh, to me that those are few and far between. The other thing that does come up, though, is guys from different draft classes, right? So, uh, you know, let's say you drafted um, an LSU linebacker, you know, right, in the, the first round last year, and you really, you know, he came in, and he was everything you hoped for. Uh, you kind of understand, like, oh, this, this is the kind of guy we want. Not only will you kind of lean on him and say, like, hey, like, you know, we really liked the, the linebacker you played next to last year, or, the, you know, this defensive lineman, or this safety hey, what was he like away from the field? You're going to get his story on, on the player that's coming out in this year's draft. And also, you're also going to get that, uh, you know, that idea of, look, like, um, you know, we, we drafted a player from this program last year. We know what we're getting, right? And you hear GMs talk about this. You hear coaches talk about this every single year. You know, hey, like, we know what we're getting with a, you know, a Boston College offensive lineman or, uh, you know, with a, a wide receiver, you know, from Notre Dame or, you know what I mean? Like, you start to get those kinds of themes where certain schools, Put out certain kinds of players in the, in the under the same coaching staff, and you kind of know what you're getting. And I think that that uh, is certainly something that comes into play as well. It's a really cool topic, Kane. I'm really glad that you asked the question. Really appreciate you throwing that review uh, on there as well on our Apple Podcast page. Again, that's the best way to throw us your support here on the show. Uh, look, we're going to be back here later this week. It's a short week for the Eagles, but we're going to keep plugging along here for college football and for the NFL draft. We got a big slate ahead. The Big Ten is back this week. Can't wait to talk all about it a little bit later this week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.